Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. You're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast, putting the sin back in the cinema every Monday for your listening pleasure. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Feeling very in touch with nature. Feeling are one, you? yes, one with the. Uh, we're having summertime here. It's uh, the summer solstice was recently upon us, and I feel very That's connected right. to the grass and the trees. Do you feel flowers. grounded? Grounded? Yeah, I'm barefoot right now, and I think that. Okay. So my yeah. energy is flowing into the earth. Uh, I feel the electric. Through, through the hardwood floor and the concrete beneath me, I, feel, right. I do feel the electric energy of nature flowing up through my feet. You, you know, funny story about nature. Um, you know, we just finished a series I was working on, and, and now I've moved on to some side projects and what have you. And um, one of them is this really cool horror script, and I was just thinking of locations. And, what, and we shot at this location that would be perfect for the script. And uh, I was mentioning it to one of the producers, and he was like, uh, you can't kill anyone there. Like, like, obviously, like, you know, cinematically. Yes. And I said, I said, no. And he's like, no, uh, one of the rules of us shooting there was that you couldn't kill anyone on screen because it upsets the trees. Mm, yes. The and owner the tr- of the home. Yeah. The owner of the home was like a lot of horror films had shot there and, and all the, the on-screen murders had really upset the energy balance and the trees in that, in her area. And trees are, like a, are very emotional beings, I find. Trees are, uh, they speak to us and, and, and they listen to us. And I do, I do think that acting a murder in front of a tree is a, a cruel thing to do. And right. um, you may be wondering, well, uh, listeners, why we're talking like a couple of forest sprites this morning, like a couple of little elves from the Shire. Um, f- we, saw, we saw a film that did. brought us back to our, our na- brought us back to nature just just for a sure. little while but but in not in a, in a very kind way it was in a bit of a it was a horror film i'd say yeah it was well you could look at it as a horror film or you could look at it as the uh the must see date night movie of 2019 i did bring a date and she did enjoy it and what we're talking about is the film midsummer by what is it? Studio Twenty Four is that what they're calling? Their, yeah, A Twenty Four. A Twenty Four. A Twenty Four produced it um, from the director of the movie Hereditary, which you may have seen by Ari Aster. Aster is his, uh, how you pronounce his last name? Mm-mm. I I'm just gonna call it Aster. I don't know. Okay, Ari we'll Aster. call it Ari Aster. It's we're just gonna speak his name phonetically. He'd appreciate that, I'm sure. I'm sure. He um, would. but yeah, we saw the movie Midsummer, and it was. Uh, very much of a return to the the natural Swedish roots um, that we you've probably never heard of. It was a, it was <laughs> very strange. It wasn't like the typical uh, you know culty Satan thing. It was um, it was no. a, a whole new a whole new territory to explore. Like weird ancient Swedish beliefs and uh, right. You well, know, we, Northern we talked, European. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. We talked about in in preparation for this podcast. We we talked about because of the emotional impact that I felt 
walking out of the movie, and and maybe you you and and uh, your fiance felt as well. We thought we, we obviously we want to talk about this movie because we feel like there's a lot of amazing things going on here. Um, but we're going. This is going to be a spoiler-free episode Ooh. and review of Midsummer. It's going to be uh, hard, but we, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, this. but but you know we feel like um, spoiling anything uh, for those who haven't seen it would would really rob you of the experience that we highly recommend you you experience for yourself that you feel mm-hmm. for yourself absolutely because so, I, I mean the producers they put that trailer out uh and i think it was one of the trailers i saw back when we remember we did the show about us jordan yeah. feels us and that was one of the trailers i saw and i just remember being like totally intrigued uh, the mystery of this thing like what the hell kind of movie is this what's it about but i wanted it you know i wanted to see it and um I think that every yeah everybody needs to be able to have that blind experience when they go in uh, to see yeah. this movie. Uh, so we're not going to give away any plot elements or anything like that. But um, well, and I think also it, it speaks to um, one of the things that made this my viewing of the film, which added to it, right? Which added to the overall emotion of it was. Um, and I think this is important for all movies. Was it's like the context in which you see the movie. Yes. And um, it, you know, in which has now moved to my second favorite theater in Los Angeles. I saw it at the ArcLight, uh, and it was a pretty. We saw it, and it's funny because um, one of the things that makes Midsummer really stand out to me is that unlike traditional horror films, I would say ninety percent of the film is in bright daylight. Would that be accurate? Oh yeah, because it, it takes place there uh, in, in, the, in, in during the summer solstice in that area of right. Sweden. The longest. Uh, what do they have? The longest like, day of the year. They have like three hours of, you know, partial right. darkness. Yeah, this, right. It's the uh, the sun just sort of swirls around in a circle above them. Really, it's uh, right. it barely goes anywhere. Um, right. So when we saw it, it's the middle of summer here in Los Angeles, and for those in the Los Angeles area, it is extremely bright these days i mean i'm looking out the window right now and the, the, you know unlike texas california doesn't have a lot of cloud cover right so when the sun is bearing down on you it's blinding and so to walk into the theater which is in darkness but from from this like overwhelming brightness and then and then when you're leaving the theater walking back out into this brightness was very disorienting but really added to the element of the film Oh yeah, I I'd considered that. I kind of wanted to see it during the daytime, but I just didn't have it on my schedule. So I ended up going to the showing at the uh, Alamo Draft House last night. Uh, the one near our our neighborhood uh, is one of the newer ones, and they okay. I did not know this. Uh, they have one of the smallest theaters I've ever seen. It's uh, twenty really? seats. I mean, they're they're big seats. It's one of those new kind of recliner. You know, have you have you been to yeah. one of those theaters where it's, yeah, you sit in a recliner they, and everything? It's like that. But, yeah, they uh, have a few of those out here in Los Angeles. And yeah. in fact, they actually today uh, when uh, when we were recording this uh-huh. uh, opened the very first Alamo Draft House in Los Angeles. Well, oh, nice. Yeah. Well, see yeah. what you think. Uh, well, you know, you used to live here, but maybe, yeah. Well, it's quite different It'd be a different when yeah, you used sure. to live here but but uh but i kind of got a similar experience to what you got even though i only went with uh my fiance i didn't wasn't with a group of uh friends but in that tiny theater we all kind of got to talking <laughs> so not during oh, the sure. film but you know you always have about you always have about 20 minutes before those movies began at the draft house and so we all started chatting and then after the movie ended we all kind of gave each other a look and well, what'd you guys think you know and it was it was a kind of a cool experience like i'm gonna try to get that that little theater again if i can just yeah to, just to see who's in there who can i meet well, there's, there's, movie some, fans, there's, some, you know? 
Yeah, there's something kind of special about watching movies in more intimate settings. You know, something that um, when we were growing up, a lot of the theaters were relatively small up until the megaplexes moved into town. Uh-huh. And I actually think that like growing up seeing movies where, you know, it's 50 people, 60 people or smaller sort of really impacts the way you view movies. I think if you grew up in an era where there was always the, the mass of megaplexes, that maybe your view and experience and your general like upbringing with cinema might just be impacted differently. But speaking of your feelings afterward, like what were like, how could you categorize like some of the emotions you were feeling like as the movie concluded? Oh, I, I was kind of like jaw drop surprised the entire film. Like I, I up to the end. I mean, I, I just uh, was not expecting all of it. It was really cool. Like it was so different, very new, um, very disturbing in a lot of ways. And but uh, I think the uh, the shock um, and the and the disturbing uh, elements of the film they come from storytelling rather than from gore and effects and you know which which does have some of that but like it wasn't that um you know cannibal holocaust i can't believe what i'm seeing it was right. like i can't believe this story like not not Although, not uh, i can't believe it it's not realistic but like right. kind of a holy shit this is happening and uh, it, it seemed very funny, realistic to me yeah it's funny that you bring up cannibal holocaust because i had i don't recall a movie that has made me feel as unsettled as a movie like Cannibal Holocaust has in a really long time. And this one did, but you're right, in a different way. Like, you watch a lot of horror films, even, like, gory horror films, and they, you might feel... You might have moments of nauseousness, or you might have moments of disturbedness, or you, you certainly might be scared or whatever. But, like, when I saw Cannibal Holocaust, I walked away, like, very disturbed. Yeah. I felt very not settled. And I had that same kind of feeling walking out of Midsummer. But again, you're right. Completely, there's some shock elements, of course. Uh-huh. But really, it's just it's it's a lot of tone and world building, and um, and like you said, the storytelling. The story was, I think, very relevant and very understandable. Maybe and maybe that's part of what makes it so unnerving to a lot of people. Yeah, I think. Uh... That was that was something that uh, I went with my fiance Ramona, and that was something that she really appreciated. Was that this this film didn't? Um, it's not a film that focuses on the uh, look how bad this hurts, look at the characters suffering, because uh, some really really messed up stuff goes on in this movie. But you just you don't always witness it; you just know about it. Right. And it's right. the way you find out about these things, like oh, that just happened. It's uh it it's it just it it, it kind of shows shows you some clues and then you get to think about what it means and right. so the, so a lot of the the violence and the gore happens in your head as you're just patching together right. little pieces of what you've just seen very cool way to do it not only that but um a few years back there was an exhibit and forgive me the artist maybe you know it the artist's name escapes me but um the the exhibit focused on a lot of like um uh, cadavers are you like talking about the, uh, the bodies exhibit where they uh, yeah would plasticize so. all the pieces of a, of a body and then you, you yes. go see all the corpses basically? Yes, yes. So um, some of the violence in Midsummer to me, while disturbing, 
also carries a certain artistic element to it. I don't yeah. know how to, it's yeah, almost, it, uh, it, it feels a bit like, like it's not, I don't know how to describe this other than to say that it almost looks, when some of the more horrific moments happen on screen, it almost feels like you're witnessing a, an art installation or yeah, exhibit. A, all, all of the gore is very decorated. It's almost like they brought a uh, Martha Stewart in as a expert. <laughs> it's, it's kind of strange. It's, and you have to see the film to know what we're talking about, but it, yeah, something's going on there. I, and this is what makes, I think Midsommar so intriguing is that there are certain tropes in horror that we expect and that we look, look forward to and anticipate. And a lot of those tropes and those expectations were subverted in their execution. So, you know, again, you have, um, a film that's set 90% in daylight. Yes. You know, which we haven't seen since maybe Chris Nolan's Insomniac, or Insomnia, rather. Um, most horror films are set at night, and this one was all day and very bright, bright, almost, you know, uh, overexposed day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have you have these moments of gr- grotesqueness that occur, which, which we expect in a horror film. And certainly if you've seen Hereditary, you should have an expectation of what can be possible in this film. But they're presented in a way that is, that's, it's almost beautiful. Yeah. And, and that's unsettling because that's not what we're used to seeing. Yeah, everything was very, very colorful too. There was none of the, the dark, you know, macabre thing. I mean, the, the, no, even lots at, of the uh, characters are wearing like white linen. Yeah, everything's white, breathable material. Beautiful uh, lots of uh, flowers. Beautiful murals on all of the walls. Right. Every wall is completely decorated with uh, illustrations expressing this uh, weird culture, um, and also kind of giving clues about the uh, right, what you're going right. to see. There's a lot well, of that, and I th- and I think that the, um, you know there's plenty of horror films that take Americans specifically and take them to a, a different or foreign culture yeah. and indoctrinate them into that culture. And you get that sort of fish out of water. And then you typically get like the bad American in a foreign land uh, situation or, or you get reverse, you get sort of um, Americans go to a backwards land, right? Those are usually the two things. Either Americans are the bad people not respecting the, the yeah. cultures of, whatever they're in or you get uh, Americans going and some foreign cultures completely presented as backwards. I thought, and feel free to correct me if you, if you felt differently, but I felt Midsummer did a really good job of not leaning too heavily in one direction or another. Yeah. It had a little bit of those elements of a movie like hostel where you've got the, the boys, you know, college age boys out looking for parties, you know, disrespecting other cultures and kind of getting caught in a snare. But at the same time, these guys weren't um, the typical frat boy. You know, they were intellectuals. They're like, uh, they're, they understood uh, a lot of the native language uh, and the runes that they saw because they had studied this stuff. They, they had a respect for the culture, uh, probably to their own detriment at times. But um that was that was kind of a change, yeah. Fascination that was cha- a change for me. They, they weren't the typical blockhead uh, American college kid disrespect you all the time. They were they were educated, but they right. still right. had a little bit of this like uh, self centered, um, uh, you know. I'm uh, American superiority. They had a, you know what I'm well, saying. Yeah, there's a bit of yes, that. absolutely. Yeah. And and so just to broadly sort of set the tone for the movie, the movie 
is set up to where a group of anthropology students decide to take a summer trip to uh, is it which country is it specifically Sweden Sweden yeah uh, where where one of their friends is from and take place in his small community's midsummer festivities which is a is like sort of a festival that happens over nine days right and uh, one of the characters Christians. A girlfriend Danny, who is our protagonist in the film, has recently experienced loss and is um, looking to get away to some degree some of the, the tragedies in her life, but also firm up her relationship, which, um, as we mentioned earlier, and I think is sort of presented in the trailers, is maybe not in a, in the most solid of places with Christian. Yeah, and um, and you're right; it's interesting because. Setting the, the the characters as anthropologists gives them a a fascination with this culture, um, a reverence for the culture in some ways, but at the same time, there's a little bit of a cold disconnect. Yes, absolutely. Uh, almost, almost like um, they're observing animals. Yeah, it's that um, that intellectual. Um, uh, what, what do you call that? It? It's like that uh, where you you. Um, you, you, you like a, yes, like you feel like you're uh, above what you're looking at, and not right. st- you know, not realizing you're on the same level, and you're actually a part of it. You know, um, that's right. It's you see it all the time. I mean, Americans going to like, you know, Mexico with their cameras and just looking for like pictures of old poor people to take, and it's it's a, it's a tourist thing, and um, it's hard and for like he, uh, yeah. Americans to get out of that that mindset. We have this kind of uh we're the the center of the world and we just kind of go and play in the rest of it you know right and and i think that um again the strength of the movie aside from subverting some expectations was really making so many of the elements really relatable yeah. and so i think that um I'll, I'll just speak for myself like i would consider myself someone who is fascinated with culture who tries to respect culture who uh, you know, I'm about to go to Europe for a couple weeks, and my expectation is that I will try to acclimate to the culture. But at the same time, you start to question. Well, it's hard to embrace a lot of cultures. You know, uh, you, you might they other cultures are going to have religious beliefs. They're going to have you know things that are obviously not science based that they believe, and uh, they're going to you know have have a lot of things that disagree with you. And um, it, I think the thing is to remember to just not openly express your entertainment with all this stuff and just kind of remember that you're a guest and uh and that's what's that's in in film in these kind of folk horror films like this is um it's usually that that attitude of uh, i'm not a guest here i'm like this is my show and i'm here to observe this and i'm i'm outside of this either it's you know the the uh savior complex you know i, right. I think i didn't i didn't see green hell but i uh, have you seen that one I, I kinda, no not yet yeah it was another one about like a group of american kids that want to go and um help people in africa and okay. uh they end up uh going to help some tribe that are cannibals and uh. they get on the menu i believe uh, so right uh, another uh, hot, uh well let's see um i'm trying to think of some other ones like that uh, well, you, that's it's interesting that you mentioned that because you were you were talking to me off air. So, we, one of the reasons why we both love Alamo Drafthouse and, and why I'm really excited that there's a a there's one that has opened up here in Los Angeles is that that um, adding to the movie going experience is usually some kind of uh, 
pre-ramble that occurs. Sometimes yeah. it's funny. Like, you know, they'll do, they'll do uh, you know, like before Iron Man, they may show clips from the old 60s Iron Man cartoon or, or right. whatever. Maybe there's some special things on the menu. But you were telling me that there was kind of an interesting um, pre-show before the movie that kind of helped set the tone for this sort of folk horror that you just mentioned. Yeah, they, they played a lot of cool stuff. Uh, like when we walked in, there was a uh, music video of this disco song YMCA being performed by uh, four white Swedish guys uh, in uh, gym <laughs> shorts. And, uh, you know, but but then um, after that, they had a uh, kind of a introduction to folk horrors for people who kind of like folk music, but, but folk right. horror for people who like might not know that what they're about to see is actually part of... Um, a, a kind of a budding genre. I mean, it's not really that budding. It's just not that common, but it, I guess it's, I guess the idea was that it started after the uh, hippie movement right, um, okay. as like kind of a response to all of this, uh, get back to nature, soul searching, identity searching movement. Uh, people kind of horror filmmakers started making these films to kind of remind us that uh, there were a whole lot of um, dangers and, uh, risks involved in getting back to nature that that our ancestors as as pure of heart and soul and spirit and as one with each other in the world that they were uh they also did sacrifices they also believed some crazy shit you know like uh they also went to the barber to get you know if they had a fever to get their blood drained right you know it's like uh so i think that's that that, that is kind of i like it a lot because I, I i i like responses to things like that because um there's so much like hoodoo out there, you know, about natural and nature and, and, you know, oh, we've gotten away from things and, you know, but it's, it's true. The past is, uh, uh usually more brutal and, and, and cruel than the present, uh, in, in just about any time. And, well, I um, think, um, you know, if you go way back to one of our episodes where we talked about sort of the, the history of horror, you know, and one yeah. of the things that we'll always kind of bring back up is that the best horror films represent anxieties of the current society right those yeah. are the ones that tend to have the deepest roots in the culture and if you look at some of the things that are you, you mentioned right like what's very the crystals have become very popular yeah in a lot of you know circles um the idea the idea that crystals hold power or energy or that you're able to harness energy through these crystals is has has you've seen a rise in popularity with that um you know uh, to a lesser degree like you know um eastern homeopathic techniques are you know uh be it um just something as simple as like yoga or um acupuncture have become have been in have been in right you know increasingly rising in popularity for years and years now um and and i think that even within a younger culture there's this sort of re, this rise of neo-paganism that's occurred. You see people going back to um, witchcraft, or you see people going back to more earth-based paganism, or at least taking elements from those things. Yeah. Even so much so that it's it's uh, it's uh, infiltrated some of our pop culture. We talked about maybe a couple episodes ago. Uh, you know, Sabrina. Uh, you know the Netflix series, right? Not that she's, I don't think it's called Sabrina the Teenage Witch anymore. I think it's just Sabrina, but like, yeah, so. you know, it's all about witches. And, um, you know, we talked a few episodes back about Lords of Salem that kind of introduced this idea of, you know, an older witchcraft taking back over. And I think you're starting to see more and more examples of that because I, I would make the argument that there's a, 
a, a growing part of the population that feels dis, uh, disillusioned with the idea that technology and advancement and progress is leading to a better world, right? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a natural feeling. I think that, um, you know, we are, uh, for, for a long time now, the, the humans as a species, we're just witnessing that, uh, these ever-changing worlds. You know, technology is just always making sure that the following 10 years are going to be completely different from the, the past 10 years. And, you know, every, every decade is just brand new things coming. And I think that that is something that our ancestors didn't really have to deal with. You know, right. uh, we weren't really, we didn't really evolve to, um, this, uh, to have this awareness that the world that we're going to leave as old people is going to be completely different than the world that we were born into. That is new. And I think that that causes a lot of anxiety in us because we just, we just don't have the mental equipment for that naturally. Uh, I I think there's a part of that. I think also if you look at um, the boom in, in, in like, in, in like big technology, right? Let's say since the late eighties, I mean, like you saw people moving away from those sort of traditional archaic, like Western religious religious beliefs and putting more of their faith in the idea of science and you have a whole generation of people who put their faith into something and then they've had the last two to three years where it seems like things are getting really terrible right it seems like things are getting pretty horrific in the world and whatever they were doing before didn't work like progress and technology hasn't made the world a better place maybe in some ways but in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel that way. And so maybe they're trying to look back at something different, something older, as a way of replacing what science maybe failed them in. Well, it's possible. But the uh, other side of that is uh, the conservative people that are in, in this country making the decisions that are stressing those liberal people out so much. Um, their slogan is, uh, references going back to a time when things were better. So I, right. I and that and the whole um, you know, but not far enough back. I mean, but they're but they're going back to like those Judeo-Christian beliefs that people have already rejected once. Well, sure, and it, I, people are, but it's still a backwards looking. And I I think that uh, the the whole appeal of that, you know, make America great again, uh, th- things used to be better, all of that, is really just an exploit of this anxiety that we have for ever changing world because we we really do, you know we are we are still hunter gatherers. You know, we are evolved to hunt and find things and live in the, you know, in tribes. Um, we're still that. We we haven't evolved past that. Evolution is a very slow moving process where sure. technology and civilization is a very fast moving process. So we have well, would... physically, we have the uh, mental equipment to deal with so much and a, uh, uh, a knowledge that the world is completely changing all the time, advancing, progressing, moving towards something that you don't know, that's, it's just not something you're born to be equipped with. And I, I think th- I it, it, it keeps in us a lifelong uh, kind of anxiety if you don't know how to deal with it. And I think that's why it's so easy to, to dupe people because you can appeal to that anxiety and, and, and kind of give them this offering of, I can freeze things. I can take them back to something you were comfortable with and I can uh, give that to you. Because look at the, I mean, the world of, of Midsummer; It's a right. frozen world. Those people, like what you witness is something that's been going on for like centuries. You know, right, it's, but, it's, but there's no a, new technology. But here's, an interesting, 
Yeah, here's an interesting thing about that. But they all seem very happy there. Right. They're happy there because that's that's what I'm saying. There's something about that that they know is never going to change. That well, they, it, but I don't think it's just they, the... Yeah, I don't think it's just a lack of change, though. I think that there's a real criticism that technology has not made the world better. Um, I mean, certainly in some... Better how? Well, I mean, let's look at it this way. We're we're more disconnected than one another than we've ever been before. Um, He says to me as he talks to one of of his best friends in Austin while he's in L.A. Totally, but how many people do that? How many people um, (laughs) stop talking to their neighbors, stop talking to... Um, I mean, I mean, look, I'll just be just with me. Like, I rarely get on the phone with anyone anymore. I, I avoided like the plague, like text me, please. I don't want to get on the phone with like outside of like five or six people. Um, you know, people are, I mean, I, I don't, I, I know like two of my neighbors in a complex of 10 people. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a reality that yes, of course, there's exceptions to the rules, but a lot of people have disconnected in meaningful ways we talked about hunters and gatherers and growing up in communities you know when was the last time you heard of a block party i think a lot of people uh feel disconnected from one another they feel like yes you have the ability to talk to someone across the world which is amazing but it also allows you to escape from having to talk to someone face to face you know a lot of people are still going to big social organized events uh they're just not doing it with their immediate neighbors the 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 community has changed to something that's not uh based on location uh, but based more on um, ability to connect with each other uh and so we have these ways to uh, reach out you know i can i can organize a party with people all across the whole central texas area and have a party just as big as if it was my whole block but let me ask you this how many well you're going to be the exception because i know you and you are an exception but like most people can block, mute, silo opposing viewpoints until their connective social community are, are, creates an echo chamber, hmm. right? Yeah. And so in a world where you have to connect with your neighbors, you're forced into having to deal with um, conflicting ideas, conflicting um, opinions, Whatever, and there's a process, and and that actually can strengthen bonds. Like for example, you and I have known each other for fifteen, going on twenty years now. Yeah, probably going on twenty years now. Yeah, it's twenty. And we've had we've had plenty of disagreements in our time. Oh. I mean, we're disagreeing right now. Oh man! And I think that <laughs> part of part of the strength of our friendship has been overcoming some of those disagreements, right? But you and I are pushing forty. And there's a whole younger generation that has grown up purely with technology, purely with the ability to silo ideas, purely with the idea of never having to connect or remembering a time of block parties or neighborhood parties or knowing your neighbors or any of that. And so I think that there are real, I mean, look, it's not the technology's fault. Technology just is what it is, but it's what we do with it. There, I think there's a legitimate criticism that current technological advances that quote-unquote progress isn't inherently a savior right to yeah, the, that's and, true. And, and may and maybe in some ways has actually manifested new anxieties beyond just change like that that we never had to deal with before because we never had the ability to deal with before and so i think this is one of the themes that this film taps into right like 
again, not to get into too much spoiler territory, but there is a real disconnect between our two lead characters on a human level. Uh-huh. And you're putting them in a backdrop of a frozen world where it's all community. It's all connection. It's almost, I wouldn't say hive mind, but there's a common accepted goal. There, there's, there's one moment where one character tells another character uh, who had, they'd both experienced some loss in their life. And he said, this place gave me what someone, what no one else could give me. And that was family. I was never alone again. Right. And that is a beautiful thing, but it's not for everyone. That's something to remember too. The kind of communities you're describing also require, they, they often require a certain kind of conformity that you, so imagine that we still are, um, you know, like uh, the 1950s is an era that a lot of people uh, refer to in America as that time when everybody knew their neighbors, they didn't have to lock their doors, all that stuff they say. I don't know how much of it's true, but they say it. But at the same time, you kind of all had to have the same religion and uh, shop at the same places and have the same political beliefs, or you'd have a really hard time living among those communities where, right. and, and in fact, you would be alone. You know, there's a hundred percent. I agree with you. I think I think that there's there, and I think actually the movie did a good job of kind of that's why that's what I was saying earlier about like it doesn't lean too heavily one way or another about making judgment calls as to whether or not the community is living in the right way or the more Western Americanized version of life is the right way. It kind of just sort of lets it play out. Yeah. But you're right. There's pros and cons to it. Like in the same way that maybe technology has led to a a different, deeper existential isolation in people's hearts. um, The the counterpoint to that is in order to be inclusive, you got to buy in. And I think that that goes to the, the central struggle of our protagonist in this film. Like every great movie, the lead character has to make a choice. And so I think that it does a great job of presenting both sides and there, and there's struggles with both. Uh, there's pain in both in either choice of what there has to, what has to be made. So would you, uh, after hearing a lot of your thoughts on, um, the modern society and uh, what you consider a disconnect between people, would you be interested in getting away to some kind of a, um, you know, week, two week long, uh, oh, natural yeah. retreat thing with a, a group of people that you're required to all get really close together and, and be, you know, and work together and be close and, uh, love communal sleeping in a big open area together. Uh, you would, you'd yeah. be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would. And it's funny because it's not, that's not an answer I would have given maybe even three or four years ago. Let's say this same uh, nature escape that you go to has a, a a uniform that you have to wear the entire time. Everybody wears the same uniform. How, how the uniform is this sounding better or worse? Uh, is this a visit or this is a living? This is something that you're going to do for two weeks. Two weeks. Um, with I would say completely disconnected from the outside world. Okay, I would say I would struggle a little bit more with that. Because of I have a pretty strong individualistic streak. That being said, like if it appealed even remotely to my sensibilities, like for example, if I were to go to a, a commune for two weeks and they said, "Hey, put on this black robe," I'd be in. Okay, black robe, sure, but uh, let's. Uh, so okay, if you like the uniform, then okay. Let's say that um, I'm going to just keep asking you a few questions to figure yeah. out how how deep into 
uh, folk horror you're willing to go. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> deep. I'm let's say that every morning at this uh, communal living retreat, uh, you're required because, and there are requirements because it's very possible that you won't get invited back, even though you've paid like four grand to be at this thing. Uh, well, it I is. Pay four it, grand. Uh, well, you maybe you that, did. That's a dope um, <laughs> Well, you've paid fifteen hundred dollars to be at this thing. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you've fine. paid a that's reasonable fine. amount of money to you. Okay. To be at this thing, and um, including travel and uh, right and pet sitting. Okay. So in order to so you also have to uh, wake up every morning at a certain time, and before breakfast, seeing an hour of hymnals mm. with the group. Hour of hymnals. Yeah, and these aren't necessarily that like has, Christian hymnals. They're just yeah, weird, yeah. whatever well, thing this is. I don't know, but I will say this. When I saw Misfits a couple weeks ago, and I'm looking around, everyone in the stands, and we're all singing to like 20 eyes in my head, like there's a shared energy that occurs from that. Yeah, but this isn't that. You know? This isn't you, sing, well, you all singing your favorite songs. No, in this, in this scenario. This right. is like straight up songs you've never heard before that are about like trees and love and all this corny stuff and you're required Again, to it... be there every morning for that hour singing and clapping and by the end of the hour most of the people there are hugging each other and crying are you okay with that i think i think i would <laughs> i'll give you another example so uh for a while he, there i was part of like sort of a sex positive uh meetup group in los angeles okay groups of various types of people with various sort of relationship um definitions but um they have like uh, get to know you games and you know, some of it's like you have to go they do put you in circles and you got to rotate the each circle rotates in an opposite direction then you it stops and you got to like you got to give the person a hug or you got to shake their hand uh-huh. or, or you know you have to get uh, you do a game where you say um someone's going to ask you to shake your hand and you say yes to it and then someone says you know, someone's going to ask you for a hug and you say no to it and the, the idea behind it is to get used to like very specifically stating what your boundaries are. Yes. Like, yes, no, let's negotiate, whatever. And it's very uncomfortable in the beginning for, for again, because our culture hasn't really guided us in that way for a long time. But after a while, when you kind of buy into it, like there is kind of a wash of relief that does occur. You know, there's a, there's like, like you realize how much of your life you go through without being hugged that it's weird to experience again as a grown man uh, or woman, whatever, as grown as a grown adult, to experience just being like platonically hugged and comforted by a by a stranger in a safe setting, that you're like, oh, that's like, give us who's that guy who gives the free hugs? Oh, uh, you know? d- wasn't that uh, Judah? Uh, what's his name? Yeah. Comedian uh, from uh, yeah. Thirty Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like that guy. <laughs> yeah, like, I bet I bet you those people feel pretty damn good after he gives them a hug. Uh, he's, you know, oh, when, well, yeah, probably. Um, you know, I went to something like that, what you're describing. It was a meetup in Austin called Human Relating Games. It was a, okay. um, a Tinder date, actually, and that's what she wanted to go do. So I said, sure, I don't oh, know what that is, heavy. but I'll, I'll go. And uh, what's that? A first date? A first date? It was a first date. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of <laughs> wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it was kind of neat because I got to get to know her a little bit, you know, because it was, it was that kind of thing. It was 20, 20 people. Most of them right. had been there before, and they had a series of games in which, uh, you know, it's not like you're talking about. It's, um, you know, you pair up with the person next to you, and you have to each tell a personal story to that person. And, and what I found was, like, so many of these people just kept wanting to, like, uh, lean in that tragic 
uh, area. Oh, let me tell you a personal story, a really terrible story. And I'm going, right. hey, man, this is it was like therapy for a lot of them. And uh, a lot of them just really I mean, it's hard not for me not to get cynical in situations like that. But I, I stayed really open to it. And I participated and had a lot of fun. But I also had some pretty serious boundaries about what I was going to share with these people, obviously. And, well, um, and I, it was a strange, I, strange thing. But they, they do this every week. And, and it kind of... Uh, it kind of it kind of makes you think that the, there might even be a midsummer style strange things going on, you know, with some of these meetups. After a while, they could flame into some strange but, things but like I, that. But doesn't that, I think doesn't that speak to that anxiety of connection, right? Like, I mean, yes, people are leaning into it and make it kind of a therapy thing. But you know, like I would assume that if these people felt like they had strong friendships and community and relationships that they'd be sharing those things, not with strangers, but with that community. Yeah, you're probably right. They, they, yeah, they definitely had a, a need that wasn't being met that they, they were getting there. Um, I know it was, it was, uh, around the holidays and, um, I do remember that at the end of the night, a lot of them were planning a, a big Thanksgiving celebration in which they would all get together with each other and right. rather than their families. And so, uh, they were, I don't know if I would say they were just lonely people, but they, they definitely, um, through the uh, internet meetup group, had uh, found a bit of a community that they, they needed. And, right. So, but, and then so there's I another think, maybe con- contradiction to your uh, thing about technology. And so much that they were able to find each other through this. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not saying that technology is inherently bad. I'm not anti-technology. But like, I think there's a stark difference between that situation in which technology is used to bring people into a physical space and a chat room. Oh yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I think that again, it's not the technology's it's the technology has not, is neither good nor evil. It simply is. It's how we use it that makes it good or bad. And I think that most people, because of the convenience of it, lean into a direction of, uh, well, yeah, I have a group of friends on a Reddit thread. It's like, no, they're not your friends, though. I mean, maybe they are, but, like, there's just a difference. I Again, to, to put it back to the movie, I think that that's something that this movie offers up. Like, you're watching this. It's very uncomfortable to watch this this sort of group of people who are kind of, like, to your point, like, a little bit like time has frozen for them. Yeah. They've kind of sort of locked in their ideals. At, at least and, during the days of this feast. Uh, Right, we don't know what they're like. Yeah, the rest of the time. I got the impression that these were professionals, uh, working people that were, you know, affluent people. Uh, I mean, they had to have some kind of funding for that big, huge piece of land and all that uh, abundance they had out there. Um, Also, uh, there were some really cool little touches in the film. Like, I don't know if you noticed that one of the uh, commune members had this ankle brace Mm -hmm. on the whole time. And the whole, I, I didn't yeah, notice that. No, it, it, and it looked like a. It didn't look like a a prop or anything. It looked like it might have even been something sh- that the actress was actually just wearing. And they just said, oh, you know what? Don't take it off. You, it, 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 because um, there was little touches like that to keep reminding you that these. This is not some cult that lives out in the woods. This is just like where these people are from and where they return to. And uh, right. this, this is was, uh, this, this is not. Yeah, they're not um, like. Uh, what would it be? Uh, American version of uh, like the Heaven's Gate cult. No, well, or, uh, I'm thinking more like uh, Mormons or Quakers or not Mormons, right. uh, but uh, Amish. Oh, oh, you're thinking of the Amish, Amish right? Yes. No, these are not. This is yeah, not that. It's not full time. Although there's elements that. of that. Yeah, and and I think that that's why the the American characters or the Western characters, because I think uh, two of them are, are Australian. 
Do you remember, or British? Maybe the British. Oh yeah, uh, British, too British. You know, I think I think that's why there is that appeal, and I think it's it's designed to set up as like when you're watching this film, you should come away thinking, man, up it uh, with the exception of a few things, this kind of doesn't seem so bad. It maybe seems kind of appealing, um, but it comes with a lot of really uncomfortable conformities that you have to accept in, in order to really be a, to really fully experience this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, there were, that's really the struggle. There were parts in the film where the entire community would experience the exact same emotion together at the same time. And they would, and there was a lot of that, them doing things in sync, but even, even up to their emotions where, and they would all experience these emotions until the emotion passed all together, you know, from start to finish. And it was stuff like that, that was meant to look, um, like appealing to some and repulsive to some others. You know, I, I, I remember seeing that thinking like, that's horrible. Like there, that, that kind of group mind to that level is terrifying to me. But it wasn't group mind. It was group empathy. Like it wasn't like they were just, even that, even that's part of your mind. I mean, that, that, even something at that level where we're supposed to experience an emotion the same way, that's terrifying to me. That's interesting because I don't think it was like something that they did because they had to, or told to, or they weren't being like sort of controlled. It's like in their culture, they experience that there's like such a high level of empathy that it is their choice to experience things together. Yeah, it was definitely all know what that feels like. It was voluntary. Absolutely. And it was, uh, uh, compulsive. It wasn't like a choice. Uh, it it was actually happening. uh, was the impression I got, but, um, yeah, I never want to be connected to that many people on that level. That's too much. And I think that that's, you know, if on if on one side you have a a very uncomfortable level of empathy, shared empathy, then you know in in the relationship between Christian and Danny, I think you get to some degree the opposite of that. And and um, I think the other thing that people really related to, other than the sort of like folk horror, get back to nature, but it comes with some dangers sort of theme throughout the movie, which which was a rela- just a simple relationship between two characters. Uh-huh. Um, neither character inherently, well, I, I'll say this, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who are like, no, one character is a fucking asshole. But I, I think that they represented a very real type of relationship that a lot of people have, which is that you're kind of doing all the right things. Like you're, you're kind of checking the boxes of being a quote-unquote good partner, good or you know, woman or man. But you're not. But there's almost no empathy, right? Yeah. Um, there's, there's like you're doing the right things because it's the right thing to do, but not because you have any sort of shared empathy in that moment, right? Not because you're actually like um, trying to be understanding of what the your partner's experiencing, but rather just because you're doing you're doing the right things. You're being a good boyfriend girlfriend, right? Sure. Yeah. Like that's, that's sometimes like, would she be absolutely terrified, and he just has no concern for that at all just kind of saying right. oh, okay that's that's too bad you know or weird but like yeah not really having any regard for it too distracted at least, at least not on any sort of deeper level right yeah. like oh you're upset i will go and comfort you because that's the thing to do but but i'm not really like experiencing this with you right yeah yeah i, I don't know it's uh there were a lot of things in that film right, that's and, the thing. In, in that uh what's that 
Well, it's funny that you said like I don't know. It's like yeah, I didn't know either. When I got out of the theater, I was like I I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> like I felt I felt so disoriented. This is the best way to describe it. And there's a there's an element that gets used throughout the film that helps um, elevate that disorientation. Yeah. And once you watch the film, I think you'll know exactly what it is once you get into like the first you know half hour or so. But um, I think the idea of it is just to raise. It, it should be to raise questions. And to not know, to, to have to really deep dig th- deep into it and to look at it and say, like, is this good? Is this bad? Maybe the answer is in between. Like, I think it's all going to be very personal to every person who walks away from it. Yeah, I think it does have something that it's there's something in there that they're trying to get you to think about that. Um, is your longing for close community? You know, if you have that, it, is that something that, you know, you should you should run toward if you ever see it is it um in america especially i think we see you know i know know this didn't take place in america this one but we have a problem with cults you know most most american religions much more resemble cults than uh religions from other parts of the world and i'm not talking about christianity i'm talking about ones that actually grow here like scientology and uh right in a sense mormonism um you know these uh the spiritual happenings that take place in America, they're a lot of times they do have a, a deep, deep desperation in them. People looking for answers, uh, willing to go very, very far, and um, a, a, a closeness and a, a, a small culture that is so focused and concentrated, and um, that is something that can get really out of hand really quick. It can. And again, again, I think that that sort of speaks to the lack of fulfillment that people are getting off of what's being sold to them, right? Buy this thing, wear this thing, look this way, get this many likes. You know that in, um, uh, just switching gears slightly, in certain countries, including Australia, Instagram is no longer showing how many likes you got. Oh, really? Huh. Like you can still see them, but they don't publicly show how many likes a post gets to other it's people. Something that they're, they're I see. Huh? Like the other people. Yeah, to other it? people. Okay. Yeah, and the idea behind it is is that people have gotten so obsessed with likes as a form of validation that they that they kind of feel like a, a responsibility maybe behind that, and they're trying to roll out like getting away from that, like for for your for your daily happiness to be how many likes a, a post got or didn't get. Yeah, because people do some dumb shit now online for that reason, and it's it's interesting because back in the day uh, when we were, because uh, we've we've been on social media since the beginning uh, with our generation, and uh, what was the deal back in the day? You you kind of knew if people saw your stuff because they commented on it. Basically, I I, I think there was no yeah. real way to say, oh, I you know so many people like this. There was nothing like that. It was just like. Fr- yeah, friends would actually like, uh, leave comments and you thought oh that's cool you know people are responding right, like in the in the in the days of sort of like friendster or mm-hmm. uh myspace even yeah like the likes the whole likes thing didn't really come around to i guess what facebook maybe yeah i thought it was incredibly useless when i first saw it i, I thought that's pathetic a like button that's like the least amount of effort you can possibly give to let someone know that you appreciate their, uh, what they've contributed to the social media. And, and, and now, um, I almost feel a bit rude if I don't leave it on certain things, you know, I'm like, Oh, I better give my friend back my friend up, give him a little, you know, now they get the, the laughy face and the, the surprised face and the saddy face and all that. <laughs> and, and again, I, I think the sad exactly. face has got to be the worst one though. Cause it's like, 
oh man, I'm sorry your uh you know, your dog died. I'm sorry your dad died. It's like a fucking sad face, man. What the hell? Well so as you're discussing like these like buttons and all the emojis associated with it, like doesn't that kind of feel like the Christian character? The the, like oh, the character like named a, Christian in the film? The, yeah. Um, like he's sort of a personified version of the like button. <laughs> I guess so. You know, he's like a light, walking like uh, button. Huh? And, 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 and then not only that, but like, let's just, I, I, this is maybe the one or one of the few moments of the film just kind of hits it, you over the head with it. But like his name is Christian and he's completely unfulfilled her needs. Well, I mean that we could go there. Uh, Cause um, we're, we're in a Northern European pagan territory and who were the the big enemies of the the pagans there in the end right. were the Christians. Uh, they came in and, and you know eventually were able to come and invade and conquer and convert. And so uh, yeah, that might be a little bit of symbolism there. Uh, having I the guy think, named yeah, Christian, I think that's, that's very good. much so. You know, I think you know again the, the strength of this film. You could boil this film down to just a very simple premise that you've seen a million times. A bunch of college age people go to a foreign land. And horrific things occur. But really, there's so many layers on this film about um, connection and empathy and, and the opposite, the disconnection and how that relates to modern relationships, not only like a, from a societal level, but also from a personal level. Like, I'm curious, you saw this with your partner. Like, what was what was her takeaway from this? Because I think a lot of women, like I, I, one of the people, one of the, the persons that I saw this film with who... Um, had recently experienced a breakup was like had a di- very diff- had a very specific uh, reaction uh, and takeaway from the film. Uh, well, without giving too much away, they they yeah they show a relationship where the one of the partners is not very invested and um and and not very uh, caring for his his partner and um, he's the like button. Yeah, he just kind of gives her the likes. Good good job, happy birthday, all that stuff. But. Uh, uh, no, Ramona was, um, you know, she kept uh, kind of grabbing my arm and, you know, letting me know that she she's very happy. She doesn't have someone that's like that, you know. <laughs> so, so yeah, I got to feel kind of cool. And, of course, when we got home, and, you know, because he's there's parts in the film where he just kind of leaves her alone, kind of in danger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got to be all, hey, don't you worry, baby. I'll never, you know, leave your side. And all, you know, I got to act all tough and be cool uh, talking about that movie. Like, yeah, that guy was a fool. I'd never do that, honey. You know, I, I get an accent well, I when think, I become a manly. So, um, well, I think it's, it's, I had the opposite, well, not the opposite reaction, but, but, um, I could see past flaws in myself in that character. Oh, okay. You know, um, you know, it's, it's hard when you, when your partner or you experience a death in the family, uh, experience a loss of a job, experience a loss of a pet, whatever, whatever the loss is, right. Just naming out these, you know, the big, the big life changing moments that that people experience, you know, like it's very difficult to deal with that. You know, they say that the most difficult thing that, um, could ever happen to a family say is the loss of a child. Uh huh. Right. And, and many, many relationships end over that when you would think that they would they should solidify around each other. Right. Yeah. M- more often, the opposite occurs. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of the we keep we make the joke that Christian is sort of a walk in like button. But I think that a lot of the things that he does, 
we've all done maybe on some level or another and and not because we're trying to be jerks but because you get sort of self-absorbed or you get or you don't know how to react sometimes that's actually we've, we've given this from a lot of praise that's one of the things that i kind of felt maybe there was just too much to kind of fit in but i felt like they didn't really nail which was um the perspective that sometimes a disconnection occurs because you just you don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, well, um, the the film definitely does show some uh, some ways to connect, some ways to to show people how you love them and to share experiences with your loved ones. So if uh, you know if you're looking for something to kind of help you remember how to appreciate those you you love and uh, uh, share some communal uh, experiences with them. Um, you will see some examples of that, of what to do and what not to do in uh, midsummer. And maybe just have some, the, maybe have some questions raised that you might have to answer within yourself in terms of how you want to continue to express that level of empathy and connection, and 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 what those relationships mean to you. It certainly will. I so this has been a kind of a review of sorts of the film, and so um, would you uh, recommend this? How highly? What, what do you give? Like a do we do, do we have a star system? Do we do that? We don't. We need some sort of rating <laughs> system. I think uh, you know our, our mutual love of Tusk got the very first oh grindhouse seal of approval. This stamp of approval is not a democratic. Uh, procedure <laughs> apparently it's just um, something you learn you you hear about on the internet that you love from Listen, your partner Matt, Matt <laughs> from your show partner you don't have to be you don't have to be ashamed you're in a safe place <laughs> you can freely admit your love of Tusk here it's just you and me and our listeners well so maybe and, maybe someday uh, I'll give it a rewatch and uh, see what I I think maybe I miss I think when I get back I th- I think when I get back we should do a retrospective of Tusk oh boy all right. <laughs> how how society has changed since Tusk came out, uh, what, you know, how it formed the culture to follow, uh, you know, that milestone that is Tusk. Okay. Yes. So what, but in the meantime, so we'll talk Midsummer. I guess we give uh, Midsummer 9 out of 10 Tusks. There you go. 9 out of 10 Tusks. 9 out of 10 Walrus uh, Tusks. All right. You have been listening to part one of our discussion of Ari Aster's Midsummer. Join us next week for part two of our discussion where we remove the spoiler band and we talk about some really cool aspects of the film that we weren't able to talk about today. We hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and that it gives you some perspective as you see the film. But again, be warned, next week's episode will be heavy into spoilers as we talk Ari Aster's Midsummer. See you next week. You've been listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Go Folk Yourself Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.